Hi friend, welcome to this week's podcast from the First Baptist Church of Nokomis, where we are building the kingdom of God through the lives of everyday people. If you are new, you can visit our website at fbcnokomis.com. Click on our visitor information page to sign up for our e-newsletter or to learn more about our ministries. We also invite our regular listeners to partner with us and support our digital ministries by clicking the give Hey, good morning for those who are going to get on here in a minute. My apologies for running a little late this morning. Sorry for the video jumping around. I'm going to take a second and let you guys catch on. Hopefully you've got it so that when we do the live, it uh, triggers on your phone, wherever you are. I know I'm so crazy to think, you know, get your Bibles out. <laughs> Let's jump into the Word. Got to have some fun with the conversation of faith. So forgive the bouncing around on that. i got to use this table. I'm in the sanctuary because I'm watching. So depending on how long it takes, it may take me a few minutes to get uh, the water turned off. I know I'm in the sanctuary because I'm running the water for tomorrow's sermon. We don't have a baptism scheduled, but I'm going to be talking about baptisms. And uh, going to kind of give you a real fun walkthrough today. Um, maybe a little bit of a difficult start. Um, I'm kind of at a place where I'm, I'm you know, mixed emotions. You know, I shouldn't say mixed, but just kind of a whole gamut of emotions. Um, this week, the results of the Derek Chauvin trial, you know, he really was guilty. And there's no argument for it. Um but to see a nation split over this and trying to figure out racial relations. Um, and my mixed emotions are I, I'd love to be in the middle of the conversation with anybody at any point, and it seems to be the best we can do is just post on Facebook. Uh, it's just, I'm going to be honest, my doctorate was in the koinonia of the shared meal that I think we can solve problems when we share a meal together, when we sit down at the table. The table is the great equalizer. Um, and that's just been hard to do lately, isn't it? It just seems to be that so many people are angry. Um, and anger is a transitional emotion that's supposed to lead into solution finding. But when it's just a room we stay in, that we're just almost wanting to be angry, then that really is because we're struggling with acknowledging our own inadequacies. Like we don't know what else to be. So it's better to just be angry all the time than to offer self-reflection and ask the question, what does this have to do with me? Or as I like to point out, why are we tearing things down all the time without a process for reconstruction, for um, putting things back together, for a plan for a better future? Um, and that's just not the case on either. I'm going to just tell you again, on either side of the aisle, when somebody says they're playing identity politics, it usually comes out of the mouth of somebody who's sitting around the table with people that all agree with them. <laughs> it's kind of like they're in their same identity. <laughs> so it's been painful. I mean, this week is just, it's sadness. I guess that's what I'm getting to is that, uh, I'd love to find some solution gathering, some hope. And I think it's relationship building. I think it's going to have to start with people who really want to invest in each other uh, as friends and still disagree. Um, I think Amazon had the best commercial where the priest and, and the Muslim uh, cleric were um, praying together. And we can look at that and go, well, how do they do that? Is, well, from afar, we don't think about doing that. But 
when you know people by name and you know their kids and you know where they live, you share coffee with them at the cafe, um, it changes things. You don't have to agree with each other's dispositions, your religions, your personal preferences, but just coming to the table will offer the discussions that get us to find the solutions. So, so I say all that because that was a heavy-hearted week, and then I go to the football game last night, and they go six and zero, and it's just euphoria. I mean, it was so much fun to come back and down at midnight, and at midnight. Probably half the town, I don't know, it felt like that. There's cars lined up all along the streets because they're going to get the fire truck out. And somebody said, they're going to get the fire truck out. It's like midnight. And yeah, that's what we do. That's what small town is all about. So, okay, let's pray for the nation. Let's pray for um, a witness uh, in this story this morning about baptism. So, Heavenly Father, we invite your healing presence in this world. I pray for um, just the challenges we face that are embodied in this, 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 this critical mass that is Derek Chauvin and George Floyd and an incident that took one person's life at a poor decision of another, but both uh, seeming to have their demons. And collectively, as a nation, we struggle to find common ground. Um, we seem to only have answers from afar, um, shouting matches. I pray, Lord, that we find things to come together on. I think of last night and celebrating a team that, as often said, uh, it's the you know the shared name on the jersey and the helmet you wear. It's all different kinds of players and all different kind of perspectives, and yet they share a common goal, and that galvanized them in a special way. I pray, Lord, that that would be true for us as a church and as a community, and in some ways, the rippling effect to a nation. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, real quick. Sorry, the baptism was filling up pretty quick. I may only have about five, ten more minutes, so let's jump into it. Okay. In Matthew chapter 3, at the end of chapter 3, we have Jesus' baptism. It says, Jesus went from Galilee to the Jordan River to be baptized by John, John the Baptist, the baptizer. John tried to talk him out of it. I'm the one who needs to be baptized by you, John told Jesus. So why are you coming to me? And Jesus said, this should be done. We must carry out all that God requires. So John agreed to his baptism. After his baptism, Jesus came up out of the waters, the heavens were opened, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and settling on him. And a voice from heaven said, This is my dearly beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased. The concept of baptism isn't new because of Christianity. It was something that was practiced even in the Old Testament. Uh, and it developed over time. It wasn't something that was um, immediate in the time of Abraham. But over time there became this ritual cleansing. And the practice was that for reasons that are pretty understandable today, uh, touching uh, a dead carcass, a dead person, to prepare a person for burial was to make someone unclean. Now, obviously, they didn't have the sanitation uh, awareness that we do today, um, but they did know that there were things that when you touched them, they made you unclean, you had to do something about it. 
So they would have this this ritual cleansing almost with everything. There were there were uh, full baths and washing for a ritual cleansing. Um, it was after any sort of discharge from the body. So forgive me, ladies, the menstrual cycle every month, women had a a baptism, if you will. They had a washing. In Jesus's day, the temple had what was pretty common for synagogues and temples, a mitzvah, kazuntai. Uh, Basically, the mitzvah was a um, a ceremonial bath. It was a big bath, uh, big bathtub um, that they would come in and actually it'd be on their own. It wasn't somebody baptizing them. It would just be after the time of the month or they touched an unclean uh, something unclean, whether it be uh, somebody who had passed away and they took care of them. Isn't this powerful that in their grief they would then follow up with the grief with this sort of washing, like like just feeling um, burdened and heavy, and then going into this mitzvah bath. Uh, by themselves, they would uh, go in naked and they'd come out on the other side. Sometimes they'd be clothed, but it was to wash them. And the mitzvah bath had to be something of running water. Uh, that was, uh, the Talmud would say, certain ways of doing the ritual cleansing. There was an order of what you could use. Um, but ultimately, they wanted something with running water. So the mitzvah had a, a entry from a spring and then an outlet that slowly brought water through. And that movement was accepted as a cleansing bath. All right, I got to turn the water off, speaking of which. I know you can still hear me on the microphone. I'm just going up behind the sanctuary to turn the water off because if we leave it on, I'm going to overflow the baptismal, which, like I said, we don't have baptisms planned for tomorrow, but we do have the illustration of our conversation with baptism. So, so that's the Old Testament. The Old Testament had a practice of baptism, that wasn't something that we know it is today. It was this ritual cleansing. And they could do it if they didn't have a mitzvah available. Uh, they could do it out in a spring, a pond, a river. Which then you get to the first century. Here comes this John the Baptizer. And his approach to baptism was so different from what the Old Testament, what the Pharisees and Sadducees had known it as. His baptism, as he would say, was repent. Repent of your sins. It was new. John the Baptist was in the Jordan baptizing people to be forgiven of their sins. So his take on baptism was, hey, it it wasn't that you touched something that was unclean and your physical body is unclean, so we want you to have this ritualistic washing and be made clean again. It is that your sin has touched your soul, and that sin that is on your soul needs to be cleansed. So we're using the symbolic gesture of the Jordan River and being baptized. So some people ask, why was Jesus baptized? Well, Jesus wasn't baptized for the forgiveness of sins, but ultimately for what was foreshadowing of his ministry. There's things that baptism means that all of us can reflect upon. The one that is different for Jesus is that he was without sin, so his baptism still represented what most of us often overlook with baptism. It entered us into this ministry. So Jesus, before his baptism, even though he's doing a little bit of teaching, and we know in John 2 when he turns the water into wine, and it's his first miracle, and he tells his mom, hey, it's not my time yet, there was sort of a sense Jesus was special. Like people knew, 
and especially close to him. John the Baptist obviously knew. He knew him and of him even before uh, he came to the baptism. He realizes it wasn't, we don't get a sense that there was an epiphany at the moment Jesus walked into the water. John knew about Jesus. But Jesus in his baptism comes up and, and God says, this is my son with whom I am well pleased. Like there's an acknowledgement of this moment that Jesus is now entering into his ministry, into his what we call his public ministry. Now, this is really important for us as Christians, because when we get baptized, there's often a very uh, self-absorbed perspective to it. And, and that's an important one. And it is the forgiveness of sins. When you say, I want the washing, as John the Baptist, the baptizer, would say, I want to be forgiven of my sins. So we talk about the washing of the soul, right? That the baptism water is going down to uh, baptizo, the word meaning to dip under. Partly when people ask, why do baptize? Baptists baptized by immersion, we really want to go back and, and reveal and share and, and um, implement so much of what the Bible you know, projects for us. And, and simply put, that's what baptisms were. Uh, as I always joke, it wasn't a sprinkle of God, it's the full immersion of God. Uh, you don't want just $3 of God, you want all of God. So your baptism is this decision to then be washed. It's, and, and in that, is, it's a vulnerability, right? It's a transparency. Even though when we do baptisms, we're not naked, but in a sense, we're laying ourselves bare before others to say, essentially, I am a sinner. I have made terrible mistakes, and I don't need to lay out the dirty laundry in front of everybody to see, but I just need to make this known that I've realized I'm an imperfect person who needs a perfect and wonderful God. And that washing of the sins is a, a tantamount to our baptismal experience. We all know that. And the baptismal waters aren't salvific. They're not um, magical in any way. They're symbolic of what Jesus has done in our heart. Now, what I always say of a wedding, that you put on the wedding band, and if you take it off, it doesn't stop you from being married. <gasps> I'm sick. No, you're not single when you take the wedding band off. It's a symbol of an inward decision to love that person till death do us part. So baptism is the same. It is that washing. What then it transitions to that sometimes gets overlooked is it's a witness. So while we're, we're acknowledging our sin, we're also telling other people that this is a special thing to do, that if you've been on the outsides looking in, it's one of the challenges I use about the metaphor of marriage, that baptism in the baptismal waters are like a wedding day. They're the day that you say, I do. And many people will say, well, look at so many hypocritical Christians. And I say, well, look at so many marriages that fail. Just because you get married doesn't mean that that was blessed and intended by God. Even as it should be, it doesn't mean that sin and personal, um, just sort of our own issues don't rear, you know, rear their ugly heads and, and take something that God intended to be wonderful and make it difficult and ugly and and end in divorce. And the same thing's true about baptismal waters. Just because you get baptized and you say, I do, to Jesus, doesn't mean that you're going to live the rest of your life. We see that all the time. Um, we are by faith baptizing, but there's no guarantee that the people who get baptized are going to be followers of Jesus Christ and faithful followers to that end. But one of the things that's an element to that is that it is a witness. It's to tell people that what about the people who get it right? Like I still say, if you want to look at the marriages that don't work, you can be a cynic about marriage. But the people that are living together for years on end and wonder about what, why get married with a piece of paper, 
And uh, I asked them the simple question, do you see relationships like yours? How well do they last? Projected into the future. And most will say, for some reason, there is this need to, not the piece of paper, but to make the public profession that is a wedding, this person and no other till death do us part. And I can't for life me understand why people wouldn't want to shout that from a mountaintop, why you wouldn't want to put something out there that is a statement of faith, of love, of uh, projection that you say, I intend to do this and uh, I'll do everything in my power to make it last, to, to make it work, to make it wonderful. Well, that's your baptism. So when we look at people and go, oh, they're not very Christian. Well, that's, that's not what baptism can you know, predict. But what it can still do is when you look later in life and you go, oh my goodness, these are the people that I, I really look up to. Usually there's that baptism, that transparency, that willingness to be um, open about who they really are and why they need Jesus in their life. And it's, it's just a natural course of conversation. You know those people, right? That's what baptism is to represent to others. You, you need to understand why I'm making this decision because it might be something that you make too. And here's why that lasting element of, of baptism um, we'll talk about tomorrow is because it's welcoming you into a family. It's the washing of sins. It's the witness to others. And it is a welcome into a community. There's a lot of people that tell me that they love Jesus or that they pray, they're spiritual. You know the whole routine. But baptism is sort of that threshold that when you cross it, you're telling people, I will make this a public practice in my life. Can you think of a time in recent history that we've needed that more than ever before? When Christians are this community that is a testimony to the world? Um, I think that, that I sort of struggle with that of late, and I wonder, you know, how many other people have been struggling with it too. The cynicism of the uh, last year, um, this sort of unrest and political unrest and divisiveness, um, it's kind of wearing on me too, right? Uh, I heard somebody talk about it the other day. Uh, it's, a, it's the moral injury of, of our times that you feel like you're pouring into something and you're not seeing any return on your investment. That the more you try to inject hope, it seems to become more hopeless. The more you try to offer, uh, as I would say, as a pastor, ministry resources, I just feel like I'm talking to a screen. And, and while I enjoy Sunday mornings, we have a leaky roof and I have to figure that out. And I ask God, is there, is there going to be a time where I'm not surprised by something that is so overwhelming in the church can we, like, like I always said, I want to, I want to really, you know, dive into those battles. And now I'm kind of like, I'm kind of done with it. Most of us may feel that way in some way or shape or another. And I've had people actually tell me that. And I say, you really need community. And they go, well, if I'm depressed, why would I want community? That's the last thing a person in depression wants. And I mentioned that that's exactly where you need to be. You have to find a way to push through that. As a pastor, I have to push through moral injury or the things that make me feel like the world is a difficult place without hope and find hope. Um, that's what the Spirit drives us towards, which is why I loved last night and watching the football team go 6-0 and going, it is just so special to be standing on that grass 
and, and celebrating with, with these kids. And, and Wyatt tells me after the game, you know, remember this when you were coaching us in JFL? And I tell him flat out, I didn't coach you like this. <laughs> this, is, this is a much better kind of coaching. And it's truly remarkable to go. I told, I told some people that when I coached, I was probably that more nervous father where I'm like, these guys are little, man. Some of these teams we're playing are bigger than them. And they're going to they're going to get hurt. So I was a little bit more like, where, how do I play them so that they don't go out there and get injured? And, you know, uh, then, you know, Paul's got them like a fine-tuned engine. And uh, some of them aren't much bigger than they were in junior high. And they are just playing with a fire. And they're playing together. And I'm looking at this going, oh, my gosh. I could feel sorry for myself and want to stay home. Or I could be here and love this. And uh, I went down with Tish and Roger and... Um, Mason, who's like a Sasquatch now. <laughs> and you just celebrate stories together. And, and that's, that's kind of the thing about our baptism is it is supposed to bring us into community that gets us out of our own way. Um, I would offer that to be like John 13. You know, you only need to be the baptism once, this sort of, you know, you don't need the wedding. You might have a vow renewal ceremony, but you're not going to get married, if you will, every three months or every year. You have a wedding. But there are times that you want that cleansing experience again, right, where married couples will say, hey, we just need to go on a trip. We got to get away for a weekend. Uh, that's th- those are special recleansings, if you will, of the relationship of your focus. We just had the couples class, and that felt like a recleansing of a prioritizing of our marriage. Well, John 13 has the story where Jesus washes his disciples' feet. Peter says, "Well, if you're going to wash my feet, wash my head and hands as well." And Jesus says, "You're already cleansed. You are a disciple of mine. What what I'm inviting you to do is just something simple." You know, something that is ritualistic that you do routinely to let people know that you're a part of my community. That is the beginning introduction of what we know in the other Gospels, the Lord's Supper, where Jesus shares with them, do this in remembrance of me. Be a witness as a community that continues to gather together to let people know that this is a different way to live. This is a way to live on grace. On people who don't always agree, but still come to the same table together, who share a table and have those discussions and those hard discussions and walk away knowing that they don't have to be divisive and polarized. That, when Jesus washes his feet, is that re-cleansing into a right relationship again, sort of uh, shaking off the rust, if you will. Kind of laugh. As a kid, I loved baths. I mean, I loved getting some toys. I mean, I remember seven, eight, and I watch the grandkids now, and it's like, get the toys. Let's just take a bath for hours. Like, like you know the moment, like, you can look at your hands, and they're all wrinkly, and you've been in there so that the water's cold, and you're freezing. You know, it started off as really warm, and now after a while, it's just so cold. That's kind of our question about baptism. We love the moment that it happens, and it's a euphoria of joy. But then you remember when you had to come in from playing and the first thing you had to do, even though you're starving, is go wash your hands? <laughs> I don't want to wash my hands. I want to eat. I'm starving. Now you have to go wash your hands. 
course, as a kid, I had pretty fast hands. I could go in there, flip the water on. I think I could get my hands both under the water before the water actually touched them. And then I, you know, pretend dry and go back out and I'm good. Mom looks at my hands and there's like, you know, trees growing under my fingernails. And she's telling me how I have to scrub them together to get that out. And then I can come eat. I think our best experience to baptism is um, if it's been years since. Just find ways to be uh, renewed by the Spirit of God. Whether it be the joy of worship, whether it be conversation with others, maybe it's a football game. But make sure that you're rubbing elbows with people and that there is a measure of faith involved. Because that, that baptism, that witness, that welcome of others into a community of grace... That's what God intends for us. Amen. Thank you for listening to this week's podcast. See you next time. And remember, God is building his kingdom through the lives of everyday people, just like you.